And we're back with another episode of The Anarchist Experience, episode 237, aka season 3, episode 57, coming at you this week. As always, I'm your host, Mr. Rich E. Rich, along with... MC. And Kegelin. And, oh my God, if you're going to be on every weekend, I'm going to stop calling you a special guest host, and you're just going to be like the <laughs> third guy on the show. Uh, always a pleasure to have you, um, and if you make this a regular thing, even better, my man. Um, this is still <laughs> a call. Lot, right? <laughs> this is still a call-in show that you guys never call into, but I keep giving the numbers out: three zero three 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 five ninety five twenty seven or three zero three eight three five thirteen zero one. That's three zero three 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 five ninety five twenty seven or three zero three eight three five thirteen zero one. We did a little bit of of you know just jibber jabber warming up the vocal cords pre-show, and you dropped the name that I am sick and tired of hearing, Ken. Uh, <laughs> Fucking Tulsi. Ken? Oh, Ken. Okay. <laughs> you mentioned it. Uh, you know, like like I said, it's it's I don't know how. She's got like the libertarian community wrapped around her little finger. Um, but apparently you like some of what she said. So so explain yourself, my man. <laughs> well, hearing your reaction, I'll be a little bit more cautious. I was just <laughs> no, reading please in don't. the newspaper this morning and uh following this this week, um, uh, some of the reaction to her statement about the uh, the Demo Democrats and Republicans both uh, pushing for regime regime change in middle, the Middle East, and she was uh, opposed to that. She says that that's uh, their blood on their hands, and uh, I don't know all that much about her background or other stances, but I was intrigued by this and especially the reaction that came from. Uh, the other Democratic candidates, you know, attacking her on, uh, on, uh, you know, not supporting the troops, or saying that she's uh, an agent of the Russians, or she's uh, uh, would just as well be representing Assad and and is shooting for a third party candidacy. I mean, this is the kind of rhetoric that it seems to me that I heard uh, directed at Ron Paul when he was trying to mount a a Republican campaign in. Uh, the last election in, in uh, 2016. And uh, I, I, I find it amusing, well, not amusing, but sad, that a, a, an anti-war statement is um, greeted with such disdain and, and derision. I, uh, I was very much cheered by that statement. I saw an interview that she did with, uh, with John Stossel, and I was pleased that she was uh, straightforward in that statement. And uh, and also and ending the drug war, which I, I I found fine. It was tempered, you know, only only marijuana, not for all drugs. But so uh, not even ending the know. drug war, right? See, she she gets credit well, for that. that. You're right. Mm -hmm. Well, but that's because we're contrasting her with all the others, and if you're trying to find, uh, you know, some uh, some light in the on the horizon for for something that could be better than all the others. I mean, you know, one reason that people uh, feel so discouraged about the, you know, about Trump is that they, well, they, they feel like, well, there's nothing in the Democratic side uh, as an alternative. Well, I mean, I, I keep cheering for the Libertarian Party candidate, whoever that may be in the coming months. Uh, but in any case, I, I, I was... Uh, found it a refreshing interjection in the debate that she was raising. Now you go ahead and tell me more about her background. I don't know all that about much about it. Well, okay. So to right off the bat, um, her, her, her anti-drug policy, right. Or her pro pro legalization policy is strictly for marijuana, right? It's not, it's not legalize all drugs. It's not take it off. Uh, take, you know, take marijuana off this, the schedule, uh, that it's on. It's just legalized marijuana. So it's, it's jumping out in front of the parade that's already in motion, right? Like there's not a lot of people still, you know, saying that marijuana is a bad thing and shouldn't be, shouldn't be legalized, right? Most of the states at this point have passed something uh, to make it either decriminalized or, or just a, a uh, citation level. I forget what the term for that is. Uh, so it's, al it's already heading in that direction. Um, one thing that I, I, I don't want to say give her credit for, but when, she, when they talk about, uh, the troops, uh, she technically is one, right? She's a reservist, uh, and even broke 
her campaign uh, because she got called to active duty for whatever her like two week training period or whatever it was. So she stopped campaigning, put on the military. For the, and I think it, I want to say personally, probably a publicity stunt to get to get called to service right in the middle of a campaign uh, to show show how patriotic you are. Right. Um, so but cr- credit where credit is due. She has a little bit more credence in that area if you want to give her that. Um, but when it comes to the, the foreign policy, right, it's not about ending the wars. It's basically what you said, which is just, uh, active, uh, not supporting regime change, but, but still supporting intervention of some kind, right? She's, she's not saying, uh, you know, wrap it up everywhere and bring all the troops home. Um, but she has, she has some sort of appeal to the libertarian, uh, I want to say purist party members, you know, who, you know, who realize that the libertarian party isn't going to do anything. So they're looking to the left and to the right to see, oh, who can, who's the most liberty oriented amongst these. And right now with Trump being where he's at, everyone's looking to the left, to the Democrats to see who can, who is in, who can dethrone uh, Trump during the next election cycle. Now, I'm not looking at any candidates. I don't care what the rhetoric is um, because I've heard it all before, right? And whereas, yes, she does stand out amongst Democrats, that's not the barometer of which we want to measure candidacies, right? <laughs> it, it, it reminds me of the last election cycle when it was Trump versus Hillary, right? And all of a sudden, we had uh, libertarians for Trump simply because you could not put Hillary in the White House, Right. And now we realize that Trump is still terrible, which we all knew from the beginning. Right. And now instead of like, who's the best liberty candidate? Right. It's an it's a never Trump campaign. And then who's the best who's the best opposition to never Trump? Still a shitty candidate. Right. Who who's who's not liberty oriented uh, in any other way except for legalized marijuana. Right. And it all it sounds good. Uh, it's great rhetoric. Uh, again, she's got that one issue and she talks about no regime change, which is not, is not a completely anti-war position. Um, uh, but she's got libertarians all up in a tizzy that she's going to be the one, right? Even here, uh, locally in New Hampshire, this is why I get a little bit fired up, right? Cause there it's, it's, it's more political here than it is there. And the it's, and it, uh, they say it's a different kind of politics, I haven't seen it. Um, there might be more like protest and sign waving and whatever amongst the, the Liberty community here. Um, but I, I, I don't like it when Liberty people start back in Tulsi, um, because they, because they think that she has a chance, right? Because they want to see her in office, right? If it's just a, if it's just a, she's better than Trump and we're, we're talking about a lesser of two evils. Well, then we're in the same spot we were four, you know, three, four years ago, which was libertarians for Trump. Now you got libertarians for Tulsi because the alternative is such a shit show to begin with that this is much better of the options. And amongst the Democrats, she's the best option. So over here, they're like, well, change your party reservation so you can vote for Tulsi in the primary. And she's not even a Liberty candidate. Right. She, uh, she's like a one issue candidate at the very best. And she's not even very good on that issue. Um, so I'm tired of hearing it. I'm tired of hearing it. <laughs> and not that I support Trump either, but I just okay. I don't like liberty me, people doing that. Let me just say, don't read too much into my excitement about what she said. Uh, I thought it was great that on this platform of Democrats that she's raising an issue that all the others are ignoring. And look at how we're talking about it and how the Democrats must be talking about it because she raised it. I think it's great she challenges all the history of both Democrats and Republicans on militarism abroad. And I think that it's great that for the first time ever, except for I mean, among the Democratic candidates, they're actually having a, a candidate who says even legalized marijuana. I mean, that's a step in the right direction for a presidential candidate. Um, you know, the, it's true that that many states have already done some stage of legalization, maybe for medical marijuana. They're always uh, cautionary, but nevertheless, I think that it's it, it's it's good to have those zingers in the debate that throws the debate off and throws it into a new direction. And that yes. doesn't mean that I I'm 
would vote for her. I would, you know, want her to be the presidential candidate. It's just that I was excited about those things being raised. Well, that's not a bad thing. Let's put you on the spot then. If it comes down to her versus Trump, you're a voter, right, Ken? I'm a voter, but I've always voted libertarian because they okay. signed the pledge, you know, the non-initiation of force pledge. And the and the libertarian party, and, I don't think has has selected a candidate yet either. That's right. And but you know, I I I always um, dismiss that dilemma. You know, if uh, it's between this person and that person, I'm sorry, I never uh, I never support that. You know, even when it was between Trump and Clinton, I didn't. I, they were both bad, and I would not have supported them. I voted for Gary Johnson. I wasn't enthused okay. about him, but, you know, in terms of, um, I use a vote like I would uh, a uh, a defensive mechanism. You know, you, uh, I would rather ballots than bullets if, if, if you have that choice. And, uh, you know, as long as you have uh, some way of expressing an opinion, well, I always go libertarian. All right. As long as it's just an opinion, because when it comes down to ballots and bullets, uh, you know, ballots are the expression of a slave and bullets are the expression of a free person acting freely. In my humble opinion, uh, the the other thing, man, I had another point. Oh, I was going to also say her position, right, is also shrewdly, uh, uh, not, not political. Man, I can't think of the word right now. Uh, it, it's shrewd of her to take that position because she's like a third tier candidate, right? Uh, oh yeah, ta- I'm sure she's doing it because she. It's the has only to way for her to get attention. To stand out. Tactical. And that's she, the word I'm looking for. That's right, and it's it's working. Uh, I I think that it has made her stand out. It's probably the only thing that that's going to b- draw attention to her campaign at this point in time, because I I think she is correct about that. Just as the Republicans were. St- were rigged against Ron Paul. I think the Democrats are rigged against uh, a uh, you know someone that's not part of the of the of the tide of their organization right now, which seems to be a, a you know Elizabeth Warren and uh, Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden. And Elizabeth Warren se- somehow seems to be pulling out ahead. Uh, last last I read, which is even more bizarre. Uh, but ta- but like I said, tactical tactical on her part to get attention. But what what bothers me, right, is that's fine. Uh, if you're if you're a Democrat, if you're on the left, and you're trying to find the candidate that's right for you, right. My, my issue comes <laughs> my issue comes when I hear libertarians and liberty minded individual and freedom loving people getting all you know hot and bothered, hot under the collar, uh, because she's the one saying it. And like oh my god, you know she's the one. Like she, she's the one for me, uh, from a Liberty perspective is not what I want to hear. I want to, I want to hear my opinion more often, which is good for the lefties that they have an alternate choice, right. But still bad for Liberty in general. So why would we ever get behind this? Well, Rich, who, who, it, I'm guessing that there's nobody out there that expresses you other than you. Absolutely. So yeah, why so, would I select someone to rule over me at all? Well, no, I, I don't think that it means just the fact that you like something that someone says and you says that's that's what I mean. I I can agree with that. It doesn't mean you want them to rule over you. It just means you agree with them on that point. Sure, but it turns so into I, but it turns into votes, right? There there are liberty minded people that are going to go out and and change their change their uh, party registration to do Democrat in order to vote for Tulsi, right? Because, because she's the greatest thing. And then when the prime, when the primaries are over, if she wins, they will vote for her in the election for some unbeknownst reason, uh, because they think that she's going to do so much better, uh, for, for freedom and Liberty. Give me a break. Well, remember that there were a lot of people saying that about Ron Paul, that Ron Paul brought them into the movement, because they heard what he liked. They didn't like Republicans. They just happened to like what he did. And he brought a lot of independents, a lot of young people who had never affiliated with any party at all uh, into the, the philosophy of liberty. Um, and yeah, I, I know people who changed their uh, libertarian affiliation or from independent to, uh, to vote Republican just because they wanted to be able to vote for him. Um, 
I don't think it brought down the system or did it uh, hurt them in any way to do so. I mean, every, I don't know. I, so, you, I, so you think the Tulsi rhetoric is going to like bring people into the liberty movement? I, I think definitely a lot of people on on the left that that are Democrats and they and they follow that crowd uh, have haven't considered uh, the the war issue to be uh, really important to the country. So it, it seems like uh, well, uh, all of them like all all of them are attacking her for uh, being anti regime regime change and. Uh, I think it's healthy to hear an opposition to that. It's, well, it's it's even healthy just to be able to debate it. Um, so I think, yeah, a lot of people are going to see her and be like, yeah, she does have a point. I'd like to hear more about that. And uh, when when they see the, the mainstream media uh, attack her for it, then that means, you know, for some people, uh, especially me, like with the, with the same thing that happened with Ron Paul, it was like, it was like, wow, really? There, there is uh, a coordinated uh, effort to make people think one way and one way only. Only one way is acceptable to think, and uh, so that made me really curious to learn more things. So I think, really, ha- having people just take the time to uh, look at more perspectives, I think that's a really healthy thing. So, but other than that, I think it's just hilarious. I think it's, I think it's great that. Uh, uh, you know, a lot of people on the like the Democrats hate Hillary Clinton, and so it would be it would be a tragedy for a lot of people if, if Hillary uh, end up ended up being the person again. Uh, well, and Tulsi's as, trying as to rope candidate. her into it, right? Yeah, <laughs> and why don't you why don't you just run and then it'll be being you? Well, I know, but she's doing that. She's doing that for attention, but also to, be, because it, it makes her it makes her voice more more powerful. So if it's if uh, if people are interested in, in the debate between her and Clinton, uh, I, I think it's more interesting than a debate between Joe Biden and Tulsi. You know, it's just like, okay. <laughs> who, who wants to hear Joe Biden? And, and then and why would it even be important? So, um, and, yeah, and it's, it's interesting, even though, you know, a lot, a lot of people believe that uh, Hillary Clinton stole the election last time from Bernie Sanders. Um, don't, don't know how true it is, but, uh, it was the Russians still the Russians. Yeah, it was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's so, it's so funny because like she, so Clinton would think that tactic is going to work again by, by blaming the Russians. Uh, obviously it isn't working for her. <laughs> well, it worked the first time, man. You do it till well, it stops well, working. Well, she didn't win the, the presidency by, by, uh, blaming the Russians. So. Well, because she did it after the fact, right? Uh, she there well, was, there she, was so she did she did bring it up before, and that okay. was because well, when the e- when the emails got leaked, that was before uh, yeah, before the election, and she and she was blaming the Russians for that. Okay, uh, she didn't she didn't blame uh, Trump at the time, but she she did blame the Russians. So everything's the Russians, and okay, uh, a I just time think- ago there. There was a an idea that all of our foreign interventions in the Middle East was due to Russia. So, so it's it's kind of funny because you know she's from that that age where, uh, you know the the Russian uh, what what do you call the word um, uh, paranoia? Rus- oh, okay. Yeah, Russian paranoia. Where that was like that was it. That was like that was the most important thing. Yeah. Um, and so I I think some of that that has followed, uh, you know, all the way up until now, and even even with uh, being involved in Syria uh, as a way to stop the Russians somehow. Um, and I think all of it. I I mean I don't know how true. That's like conspiracy theory stuff, right? But there's no good reason to in, invade Iraq and Iran and Syria. So, well, to con- to, to gain control of land in the Middle East. Right, and I, I think for no, Hillary, but we we never actually gain control of it. It just goes to some other uh, dictator, and I'd, I'd almost rather, you know, set up another state in the United States over there and be like, yeah, we're taking over the world and and, and do it that way, uh, than do it the way we do it. Because what we like an overt empire, like all right, well, we're here and this is ours now. 
yeah, but you're also part of the U.S. at that point, and then maybe they like it. I don't know. Like, um, uh, you know, if it works here, it could work other places. But that's not that's not my my point. The, my point is what we're doing now is basically constant misery for everywhere that we intervene, um, and that's not so, a good thing. True. I yeah. think that it's interesting they characterize. Uh, Tulsi Gabbard with the word isolationist, which is the way, same kind of term that they used to give to Ron Paul. And it's a word that's been used ever since World War II, um, even World War I, uh, saying, well, we have to have our mind involved with everywhere in the world. And then this, the derogatory term for someone who doesn't feel the government should be involved everywhere is an isolationist. Oh, you just want to cut yourself off for the world. It's exactly the opposite. The libertarian or libertarian non-interventionist position is very international in terms of uh, commerce, or as Thomas Jefferson said, peace, commerce, and friendly relations with all entangling alliances with none. Yep. That was a very a very bold uh, global embracement, but it was uh, uh, assumed, well, if you're not having the government attack somebody, well, then that means you don't care about them. <laughs> Which again, which is a strange thing, which is a strange position to take. Um, and you're right; they they do throw that at her, but it's not even it applies even less to her than it did to Ron Paul, right? Because she's not even an isolationist. Like Ron Paul was get every, get the you know get the troops out, end the wars, yada yada yada. And Tulsi isn't even saying that, right? She's saying uh, not not regime change, right? We we keep doing what we're doing just as long as it's the same regimes in power. Uh, so it's not even it's not even uh, isolationist. It's not even non-interventionist. It's just one specific no regime change. And even even Ron Paul, uh, if you want to talk about that for a second, one of one of the things that bothers me, and this, I I hear the argument both ways, but I've always felt uh, whereas he brought a lot of people into the movement, because he did it from the political aspect, um, he stopped people from moving beyond the political aspect of it, or he stopped a lot of people from moving beyond the political aspect of it. So there's a bunch of liberty-minded people uh, who followed Ron Paul who still think that politics and voting um, and supporting the right candidate at the right time um, is is an effective way uh, to, to achieve freedom and liberty in the world. And I would I would rather, you know, a, a what's the word I'm looking like, a civil disobedience uh, type of movement, uh, figurehead or whatever that shows people that know pol politics and voting and asking for permission for freedom, uh, is never the way to achieve it long-term, right? It's, it's a, it's a temporary thing. As long as the system is in place, you can lose it, uh, you know, within the next election cycle, should things not go your way. Yeah. I, I still don't know why you can't do both. I mean, you could you could vote for a guy to get in an office and then once he goes to his mansion, you can shoot him. Um, and just skip the voting part. That's well, all. Yeah. It's that extra step. That, that's fine. But I, what I'm saying is you can you can still do things in, in the world and then, you know, have, uh, you know, your preference out of, you know, however many people there are. Uh, you know, take the house. I mean, I, it, it, it doesn't bother me uh, so much that a person is, is sitting there. Uh, it's it's going to be somebody. Um, and yeah, so it's just, it's just, it's just a game. And, okay. Uh, at, at the end of the day, the, the game isn't what matters. It's what, you know, it's what you do in your life that matters. True. But, and I get for me, because, because I don't care, what I do know um, is not having someone sitting there makes my life easier. But as long as people who support freedom continue to put someone sitting there, right, it makes it makes my non-participation riskier than it would be if we all just stopped participating altogether, right? Like they they'll pass a law, and I'll break the law, and I will be singled out individually as the lawbreaker, right? The, the bad person who should just fall in line and do what they say because they're the politicians and they make the rules and they're doing it for my own good, right? And then I'll have liberty-minded people, right, 
say say similar things as in well you just should have voted and if you would have voted you could have changed things and you could have been freer than you were but i still would have had to vote for my freedom right no i I don't i don't i don't i don't think that's the case at all but (laughs) i would i wouldn't uh blame somebody uh for uh imprisonment uh on on who they voted for or if they voted or not doesn't that doesn't make any sense well sure does because that's that's basically what a political prisoner is right if if they pass if if they pass a law uh let's let's take it locally right they they pass a law uh no texting and driving which i believe exists here as well right now i could have petitioned my legislature to not pass that law i could have run for office to to repeal that law i could have done a bunch of things uh within the legal system to not have that law go into effect. But what I do is text and drive, right? And I I do so dangerously because the law is in effect, um, making it more dangerous for everyone on the road because the law is in effect, but I break the law nonetheless. Uh, When I have to, it's not like I'm looking to do it. Uh, Now, if I get caught, right, there then then comes fines and imprisonment, here in New Hampshire, at least from what they tell me, you can convert t- fines to jail time. So you, you can so you can sit it out in a jail rather than pay the fine, which fucking A works for me. Um, but what's what's my recourse, right? How do, how do I get that law changed or do I continue to just ignore it? And because I'm not going to play the political game, I choose to just ignore it, but it's more risky. Now, if we all ignored it, Right. If we all said, no, 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 not playing that game. Right. We would overwhelm the system to the point where the law is de facto useless. Well, to, to do that, you um, you have to persuade the others along your line of thinking that to, to become effective. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, that's a big task. A, a lot of people are busy with their own lives. They don't have time enough to think about all these issues, to spend their time at it, and nor do they want to risk uh, going to jail when they've got to take their kids to school. They, you know, of course not. They, they, they people have lives to go on, and uh, the political process is a way of standing on a platform and getting your ideas and thoughts considered by other and persuading other people to go along with you, with a, a kind of a minimal amount of of. Um, uh, cost and effort to oneself. I mean, I think that there's a role for what you're doing to be the civil disobedient person, and I applaud it. Um, but it takes a huge amount of uh, time and effort to persuade everybody that, that that's an effective rule because you you know the the world is not there yet. You're right. So and I shouldn't I shouldn't have to spend my time persuading anybody of anything, right? Well, I, I should just I, be able to do I, it. I agree. And be left sure. alone. And what I would like to see is more people who claim to be libertarians, who claim to be lovers of freedom and lovers of liberty, right? I shouldn't have to persuade them. They should already be on my side because the other position is anti-freedom and anti-liberty, right? To convince them to do it is a separate thing because all of a sudden there's a there's a priority, uh, a priority list in place, right? And all of a sudden uh, going about my life and taking my kids to school and doing whatever it is I want to do otherwise is more important than freedom is more important than liberty and you can't even argue that right it's it's that's the way people operate that's why people pay fines instead of taking it to court because the time the time spent to go to court is not worth as much as just paying the fine right the time to fight the system is not worth the cost of just going along to get along which is why the vast majority of people go along to get along is because freedom and liberty is not high enough on their priority list to act accordingly. And what I don't want to hear is how pro-freedom and how pro-liberty and how pro-libertarian those people are because they're not, right? They're, they're pro-family. They're pro-driving to school. They're pro-going you know, going well, to the grocery store. Well, isn't that their freedom? Their freedom is what they want to do with their lives. That's, that's their yeah, freedom. But call and, it what it is. You're saying that no, and you're saying that it's got to be their choice to either agree with you on what you should be able to do and give up their whole life to go along with that agreement, 
or else they're not in favor of freedom. I don't think that that's because uh, they're not to them. It's it's not it's not it's not as high a priority in their life. You can't even argue well, that it's not okay. as high a priority. Okay, it, it, look at the issue of uh, texting while driving. Frankly, the the pure libertarian position would be well, the, all the roads should be privatized. Okay. In which case, the government doesn't even have the highway and doesn't decide whether you should text on on the road. But I'm guessing if it was privatized, if you're holding liable the managers of a private road, they're going to completely forbid you from driving on their road if you're texting, just like they would say for a pilot uh, flying an airplane on a private airplane. He's going to be responsible for the uh, what happens to the passengers in this private airplane, the, you know, the airline says, I'm sorry, you can't drink and drive. You can't uh, text and fly. It's not allowed. And uh, so, But there would be competition in that marketplace. So there would be a road that may be longer, may have less re- rules and regulations that would cost less for me because it's more dangerous. And I would take that road instead. Not every, yeah. not every road is going to be as onerously regulated as the current system. Yes, yes, that, that's a possibility. But all of that is an enormous change in the process down the road. People are living their lives today. They're not living their lives down the road. They're, I mean, partly they are. We, we, we look forward to the future and, and having a better uh, and freer world. But we also accept, uh, well, I still have to live and eat and manage my life today. I, I, I'm not entirely living in the future yet. Yeah. So all I'm saying is for those people, just admit that there's that there's things more important in your life to freedom. Right? No, it and isn't. Don't more interfere in my freedom. It's it's there's still choices about um I I don't I don't see that it's giving up your whole belief in the freedom system or or the 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 value of freedom by if saying you temper well, your be- if you temper your behavior to go along to get along to not get caught. Yes, totally is. If you, if you if there's something you want to do now that you're not doing because it's against the law because it's illegal because you're worried that you might get caught, totally antithetical to freedom. Well, I don't know. Okay, uh, I accept your point. Um, I'm guessing that probably there are things that you don't do in your daily life um, because you don't want to get it have it be another obstacle in the things that you need to get done during the day. I mean, you're you're not uh, probably consumed with this so much that you don't go about your own life still. Um, instead of advocating the 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 pure anarcho-capitalist experience for other people, I uh, think everybody's it, compromised. Uh, I don't. Maybe maybe not. Maybe maybe I just don't know you all that well. When it comes up, I will always advocate for the pure anarcho-capitalist position. Or the pure advocate it is one thing, but doing it is a different thing. Sure, I mean we we would have to try to get into really specific examples because I go about my day the best I can, and I avoid I avoid the system as much as possible to to not be in that situation. Um, but like I said, aside from aside from being on the highway, I don't put myself in the way of the system as much as possible. So I don't, I, I'm trying to think of like, as I'm going about my day, what could I do differently to advocate for more freedom? And I can't think of anything off the do top of my head. Do you drive on the right side of the road or on the right side of the line? Or do you usually just drive on the left side of the road because you would prefer that? Maybe it's uh, the light is better or something. Uh, I drive on the right side of the road, not because it's the law but because I believe that's the most efficient way and that more people should do that, right? Right lane drive, left lane pass as the most efficient way for society to operate a roadway. I lead by example. Like, well, you, you use Federal Reserve notes and, and, and you pay tax on uh, your, your food when you go out to eat or something like that. When I go out to eat, which is a rarity, uh, it, which is a rarity, but yes, because the, the, they collect it. Uh, but I've, I have, I, for income tax, there's no state income tax here. Uh, and on the federal level, I have filed exempt, uh, for probably the better part of seven, eight years. So I have, I have minimal deductions coming out of my paycheck, even though I work for the man. Mm -hmm. 
Well, I, I applaud you, Rich, you know, for... I've, I found out recently that somewhere around here, in New Hampshire at least, um, there's, uh, like, there's special gas stations that don't charge tax because they're made to fuel up recreational vehicles, like RVs that aren't going to be on the public roadway. So that gas isn't taxed. And so, so all of a sudden, what's going off in my head all of a sudden is, well, can I afford a big enough gas tank to fill that up there and then just pump that into my car here, <laughs> right? Because that's a way to get around that. Then I'm not, then that's one less tax I have to pay. Uh, but it's doable. Uh, I just, you know, I just haven't figured out how to do it yet. Uh, so, so in the works, right? I can't do it overnight, but it's, it's been brought to my attention and it's in the works on how to make that a, a viable option. Um, the other thing, as long as we're talking about cars, right? Uh, you know, we, we, we get the safety inspection, we get the registration here, uh, you know, it's coming due, you know, in a, in a few months and we're probably going to do it again. Right. But we have friends that somehow managed to register their car in Montana. So they, they, cause Montana is a one-time registration state. You register it. That's it. Doesn't renew. You have it. It's a lifetime deal. Um, you, so there's, there's people here as part of the free state project. Uh, some of them part of the free state project. Some of just, you know, the, the freedom migration, uh, driving around town with Montana plates, right? Because you, 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 you concede a little bit, you pay the one-time fee and then you don't give anything else to the state of New Hampshire, right? So I want to learn how to do that, right? They set up a church, you know, to, to get like tax-free on, on their house because it's technically owned by a church and therefore it's a church facility. How the fuck do I do that, right? So there are people working on those areas um, and I just, I just need to learn how to do that when, when the time comes for me. Like when we buy a place, how do we do that? Let's learn, right? When we're ready to, when we're ready to figure out the registration on the cars things, let's figure out how to get it done in Montana, Right, there, there are there are ways to circumvent the current system uh, to be more free that most people won't take the time to do or haven't even learned about yet. Yeah, actually, maybe you ought to set up a legal advisory service and get paid to then pass this little paid for giving this kind of advice to everybody else who wants to do this too, because it would simplify their task of then each person individually trying to hunt down this information. Uh, you'd be, make some money off of passing around this uh, this information. Yeah, and um, I, that, that's a that's a great way to to do it. It except it, as a uh, bad capitalist, I wouldn't charge, right? Because that's that's my if I were to figure it out and have it, you know, have a, a a streamlined way to document it and get it moving, right? I would freely give out that information because that's the way to get people moved in that direction. Uh, as my give back to the community, my community service, if you will, uh, to make everyone else more free. Wouldn't even yeah, charge. Well, mm-hmm. That's 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 um, noble and that's that's good and generous. I don't see that it's a wrong thing to charge for it because you've, if you consume a lot of time doing it, I think people would be pleased to to come to. Um, the, uh, you know, uh, to pay for that service. I don't, I don't think it's, yeah. I mean, it would be like yeah, saying there, there's an advantage, know. there's an advantage to charging for services. Even, even if you do give the, the majority of it away, um, that if, if you had a service, then people could come to you and then you could figure it out for them instead of them trying to figure out what's best for, for their life. Um, so yeah. if you, if you had a service, then. The, the, the advantages is that you could spend more time uh, figuring out more things and, uh, you know, make it, you know, a- amplify what you're doing instead of sure. just coming across things once in a while. So that's a fair point. But, uh, yeah, I'm not sure if I would, I wouldn't be interested in doing uh, legal service uh, full time. <laughs> it's not my thing. And, uh, I, I, I and kinda, I'm not attorney. This from, is not legal advice, you know, right? Yeah, yeah. Myself personally, I try to stay away from it as far as I can. Oh no! See, and that's that's one thing that, despite it being their laws, uh, is something that I have always been fascinated with, uh, even prior to like becoming an anarchist. 
right? I'm, I'm the guy that read the contract, that read the fine print. Uh, when I, you know, when I was working at uh, a home security company, I was doing the collections for them. Uh, and I, I'm the only one in the office that read the contract, right? So for a while, they had me as part of like the cancellation team. Uh, because when anyone would try to cancel, I would just go, okay, and per the contract, the cancellation, it's going to be about $2,000 to close the account. And they go, what the hell? I go, well, it's right here in the contract, right? So stipulated and pointed out in paragraph three, section B, whatever. Uh, and they go, I didn't even read that. And I go, well, that sounds like a you problem, man. You know, why did you sign it if you didn't read it? So th- that type of stuff always fascinated uh, me personally. So it's, it's definitely something uh, of interest to me. The, the other, the other point that I take from that is there's a lot more areas of freedom, uh, in New Hampshire overall, but it is not the freest state in every area. Right. And so like my goal, uh, when I, you know, when I'm talking to those who insist on the political process, right. Is why don't we like, why don't we make a list of all the areas where a state is freer than New Hampshire and then make New Hampshire the freest in that area. If that's if you're going to play the political game, do it that way, right? And in the meanwhile, I'm just going to continue to do what I do. Um, so I thought it was Mississippi. Someone said it might be Montana. Uh, there is a state out there that you can have a, an open alcohol container in your car, right? You, you can drink beer while you drive uh, as long as you're below the legal limit, right? I go, why don't we have that here, right? Why isn't, why isn't New Hampshire not the number one place for that, right? If you can do it there, you should be able to well, do it here then, too. Then people are going to have to vote for people and, and you don't want them to do that. So I <laughs> No, I don't. I just want people to drink, drive, right? And then not pay fines and occupy the jail and terrorize the system that way. But if you insist, right, if you would do, if you, that's what I'm saying, if you, if, for the people well, here, if you insist yeah, on think, doing it the political think, way. I think people would rather take the the political way than no. I get than, it because uh, it's easier. Get, get it. Uh, I don't know about it's safer. Easier. It's easier. You can vote. You know, I voted. I vote. I, I don't know what happened. I voted for drink and drive, and I somehow it didn't pass. Guess we can't do it. On the drinking and driving, would you hold? Uh, how do you? Uh, what would be the measure of liability that you would hold somebody to if they? Uh, cause somebody else's death by drinking and driving would you what would be the penalty they would be responsible for that death i don't i don't know what i don't i don't i'm not the arbiter in that case so i think the arbiter would have to look at uh you know if you're looking at just the economics of it how much you owe the the victims and the family uh you know a lot of times it comes down to earnings and wages uh, this dude was making, you know, so much a year to provide for his family and, and you took that away from them. Uh, therefore, you owe them that, right? For, you know, for the average amount of lifetime that this dude would have spent. If I were the arbiter, I would look at that aspect of it. You're not going to bring, you're not going to bring the dead person back. Uh, but there, there has to be a penalty for bad behavior, right? But I don't think drinking and driving is all that bad, personally, because you can drink and drive and be under the, and, and not be inebriated, be under the quote unquote legal limit, which they continue to lower. So it's barely even inebriation at this point or intoxicated, right? And you can, you can be high on drugs and still be a functional driver. Uh, you can be somewhat drunk and still be a functional driver, but regardless of whether you're inebriated, intoxicated, high or otherwise, uh, if you were, if you were responsible for someone else's death, through action or inaction on your part, uh, then you should be financially financially liable uh, to the to the you know surviving victims, if you will. Regardless yeah. of how that happened, now, if your tire blows I... out and you swerve and you hit somebody, you know, shit happens, man. Sometimes sometimes you can't win them all, right? Sometimes bad things just happen, and that's the end of it. But if it's road rage and you swerve, whether or not you're drunk or not, hey, there's there's there should be some financial penalty to that to dissuade people from acting like morons in the first place. Do you think that uh, compensation for lost wages is satisfactory? I don't know how else to do it. Like it, you know, it's it's what a if, fair what question. What if it's a housewife that didn't have any wages? 
then no compensation? That's the thing. I don't know. I, you know, I, I'm not going to be able to give you a satisfactory answer on the air. Um, because I would hope that any arbiter would take a lot more thought and consideration to that issue uh, when when levying a decision. But ob- obviously, uh, it can't just be wages in the case of a housewife, but what value does she add to the household, right? And can you put a number on that? Yeah, that's a t- tough one. Because, it is. Uh, I mean, for all of these considerations, it's um, uh, very tough to evaluate um monetary awards for a lot of non-monetary values so let's not think about it because it's too difficult to think about let's just go on with the current justice and judicial system that we have now because that's working out and everyone's comfortable with it we don't even have to think about this my my problem is that uh putting somebody in prison or or even less than that taking their license away uh, does that solve uh, the issue for uh, you know the, the housewife that gets runs over? Um, no, I don't think it does. So I think I think monetary compensation would would help more. Um, and you know I I don't know alcoholism is is one of those things that uh, well even if they get their license taken away uh, they're they're probably going to drink and drive again anyway. Um, so. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like alcohol is a terrible drug. Um. Sure. (laughs) But alcohol in moderation does not make you completely incapable of operating a motor vehicle. Sure. Right. You can have a beer between your legs as you're driving down the street. Uh, one of, uh, one of my customers, uh, recently basically lost his job because he was hanging out at our facility, uh, you know, just tooling up some stuff and realized, you know what? I could go for another pack of beer. So he jumped on his motorcycle, went down, you know, like a half a mile down to the gas station, got pulled over in the gas station because uh, like a taillight issue or whatever, right? Like something other than, hey, dude, you were like on the wrong side of the road causing havoc, right? He wasn't, he was drinking, but he wasn't drunk. He wasn't inebriated, but he was over the limit, right? And so he got busted, ended up in jail because he's a, he's a truck driver by trade, uh, got his license pulled and just his career wiped out overnight. Right. Because he went, ah, you know, and he's like, I didn't even go to the store for more beer. Right. I went because my beer was warm and I went to go get a bag of ice. Right. So over a bag of ice, having brought harm to nobody, uh, he's now out of a career unless this gets settled some other way in court that's currently in process. Right. That doesn't seem like justice to me. So let's find a new way to do it, right? But as long as he's going to get busted for it, what do you do? I would say continue to do it, and if more people just need to do it because they can't stop us all. If that's your thing. I don't drink, so I'm never going to drink and drive, and that has nothing to do with it being a legal or a lawful thing. I had plenty of opportunity to drink uh, underage. I had plenty of opportunity to drink now. It's a personal choice, but should you have the ability to do it? Absolutely. All right. Headlines? Or are we going to talk about uh, the prison that uh, is school? <laughs> oh, sure. Okay. That's part. That's one of the headlines. We'll, we'll just jump into headlines, and then we'll do that one first. Uh, headlines. School to prison pipeline exposed as 30,000 kids under age 10 arrested since 2013. Uh, headline. Medicare for all is a plot to pillage you. Headline, San Francisco, this is a long one, San Francisco falafel shop owner says neighborhood has enough falafel. Ask city to block rival falafel shop next door. <laughs> what, what's a falafel? Uh, it's, it's like it's a Greek a burrito. Yeah. yeah. Oh. <laughs> I, I, it's, like, it's like a chickpea wrap. Okay, they asked them, did they actually pass it and, 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 and then outlaw competition? Well, we can do that one first if you prefer, Ken. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I'm wondering okay. it strikes my attention there. It, right. What was the rest of the story? I'll get into it. Okay. Uh, final headlines, though. St. Louis thought hiring a comedian would boost trolley ridership. And City Hall forbids developers from, getting consumer, from giving consumers what they want. All right. I'm not going to read the whole headline. San Francisco Falafel Shop. Uh, a San Francisco restaurateur is eager 
to stop a competitor from opening up down the street. The city's Byzantine permitting process might let him do just that. For the past several months, Asaf Pashut, owner of Mediterranean restaurant Flying Falafel, has been trying to open up a second location at 463 Castro Street. All things considered, this should be a relatively easy sell. The Castro Street location Pachette has his eye on is already zoned for restaurant use. It's currently occupied only by vintage clothing pop-up store. A second flying falafel location would bring additional business to a commercial corridor that's seen a sharp uptick in vacant storefronts in recent years. Enter San Francisco's complex regulatory framework, which is forcing Pachut to jump through bureaucratic hoops and is inviting mischief from rival restaurant uh, from a rival restaurant not eager to see another eatery open up on their block. In order for Pachut to move ahead with his expansion plans, he needs to get a change of use permit to convert the Castro Street site from a retail to light restaurant use, which in turn requires a few months of review from the city's planning department. Unnecessary as this might be, obtaining one of these permits shouldn't be presented too much trouble. Pachut wasn't asking for any special zoning variances and was only proposing some light alterations to the interior of the building. In May, Pachut filed his permit and awaited approval from the department. That's when Sem Bulutologlu, a co-owner of the Euro Express at 499 Castro Street, requested that the project receive discretionary review. Uh, in San Francisco, any building permit application, even if it complies with all applicable laws on the books, can be appealed to the city's planning commission, which oversees the planning department, through a process known as discretionary review. The seven-member commission is empowered to attach conditions to a permit beyond what is required by law or even reject an application completely in most cases. This can slow things down for months as applicants have to wait around for a public hearing which in turn requires giving neighboring businesses and residents proper notice of that hearing. Should the planning commission attach additional requirements to a permit, an applicant has to start the planning process over again, delaying things even more. The cost of appealing something to the planning commission is usually pretty low, given that Peshut is asking permission to perform only $7,500 in renovations. The cost of appealing his change to per, of use permit should cost $409, according to the city's fee schedule. Literally, everything in San Francisco can be challenged. Everything can be stopped by an idiot with $100, says Stephen Buss, an activist with the group Neo Liberty uh, Yimby and a candidate for San Francisco's Democratic County Central Committee. The fact that any permit application can be appealed by anyone at a relatively low cost creates the perfect opportunity for regulatory capture, Bus tells Reason, uh, where the article's from. There's a mythology that having community input empowers the little guy against the big guy, he says. Instead, it empowers people who know how to work the process. Uh, this seems to be exactly what is happening in Pashut's case. Uh, but Bulu Toglu runs a similar falafel-selling restaurant that would have to compete with a new flying falafel location, something he even acknowledges in his request for discretionary review. There are three falafel shops on the 400 block of Castro. <laughs> One more fast-food walk-up counter-style limited restaurant is the last thing this community needs, he wrote. Uh, Bulu Toglu arguing that converting the building at 463 Castro Street to a restaurant would cost the area valuable retail space is asking the planning commission to require Pashut to instead take over a vacant limited restaurant space. Uh, according to a 2017, uh, excuse me, 2017 Hoodline study, 13% of the storefronts on Castro Street are vacant compared to a citywide 3% vacancy rate. <laughs> uh, a hearing on Pashut's permit application will be held on October 24th. Uh, this is the current article, so it's this year. Uh, it was supposed to be on October 3rd, but a noticing error saw the commission postpone to it to October postpone it to October 24th. Bus says that the it's likely that the planning commission will reject Bulutoglu's request, given that Pashut has the support of the Castro Street Merchant Association. Uh, regardless of the outcome, the delay is still costing Pashut money and time he could be putting into his business. Uh, that any of this is even up for debate before a governing body shows just how out of control regulation has gotten in San Francisco. Uh, because an endless series of regulation and the massive amount of discretion given to regulators, San Francisco has made it increasingly difficult to add anything new to the city, whether it's a falafel shop or an apartment bitty, uh, building. Uh, 
The city's board of supervisors is even considering requiring permits for businesses looking to test out emerging technologies. The end result is that San Francisco is empowering incumbent interest, whether those be homeowners, bureaucrats, or business owners, while choking off the dynamism that's needed to make a city thrive. Uh, so now you got to go out and eat a falafel, Ken, so you can see how good this Greek food really is. <laughs> well, but what do you do? Yes. Right? If I was the guy, I'd go to a different city. You know, why bother with that? Same thing happened in Honolulu. Well, I mean, that's probably what's causing island. the vacancies in, in the area, right? It's just nobody wants to be there yeah. because of the regulations. Exactly. Yeah. They're building themselves. They recently put on this rent control thing because prices are going up. Well, that's the consequence of shortages and all the regulation. Um, there's a shortage of apartments and higher prices where where somebody does have an ability to I mean, they, they just won't even build there. I think I read that uh, there's been a tremendous decline in the housing stock in San Francisco ever since they initiated their first rent control laws. And it's going to be statewide. People will move somewhere else. But the hardship is for people who are living there and then can't get employment, can't get uh, uh, new businesses, can't get uh, falafels. And when new uh, businesses want to come in, this is what they do to them, right? I remember the case on on Big Island. I don't know if you, if it's okay for me to mention a, a case yeah, uh, similar to that on the Big Island of Hawaii. They don't have any uh, transport system other than taxis, and um, there was a Hilo sampan that wanted to start up operations there and provide van service for customers all around the Big Island, and it was pretty popular. People liked it and all that. But then the the taxis went to the Public Utilities Commission and asked them for. Um, you know, a proof of deed, and uh, uh, the Public Utilities Commission issued a cease and desist order saying, well, you have to prove that the customer needs this service. And, of course, any taxi driver could challenge it. Just the legal expenses of going through all this and the time, just they yeah. gave up. So Of course. The customer Not worth it. Hurt. Yeah. Right. It's been a while now, but same with the super ferry, Right. Seemed exactly. like a good idea, got launched, everyone was happy, you know, oh my God, I can drive my car to the outer island all of a sudden, and then poof, like basically shut down overnight, all that investment gone, because some, some governments and some protesters got in the way of the business operations. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, um, and it's the... The, the, the best way for a politician to seek campaign contributions. This falafel dealer that doesn't want competition, you can bet he's um, currying favor with the politicians in the area to make sure that they rule in his favor. So does that is that just what the Pashut has to do then? Uh, is, is bribe some politicians to vote the other way? Is that what Probably it comes so, down to? Which is an additional cost. Yeah. You know, in... in it's it's bad enough in the United States, but it's much, much worse in most of the rest of the world where this is so routine. In India, you'd have to have 16 uh, licenses and permits through the bureaucratic process just to open up a pedicab uh, or one of these tuk-tuk uh, cab services. And they don't dare avoid it because every police officer can stop them and ask them to see their paperwork and then demand a bribe to let them pass or else they confiscate their their uh, vehicle and uh, the only way they can streamline the process and get it done in um, a few months instead of a few years is to um, pay bribes to the officials who are gatekeepers for every step of the process of approval that's uh, pervasive around the world and it's ironic that consumers well they're not educated about this sort of stuff because of what you pointed out in another topic uh the government schools don't ever really focus in on the egregious problems of the government yeah. controls over the economy well with all that going on around the world i guess i should just keep my mouth shut and be happy that we have it the way it is here <laughs> when we can when we can petition the state rather than bribe them and hopefully that they you know well, are sometimes are curry favor sometimes it's cheaper to, to bribe them though that's the thing so. <laughs> In in China, for example, it's probably easier to start a business than in, in the U.S. I think yeah. that's mostly true for Hong Kong as well. That's one of the big deals about there. Well, Hong Kong has some other freedoms that besides uh, China, though. So. That is true. 
and getting squashed at the moment. All right. Any final thoughts, Ken, MC? No, no, that's good. All right. We're pressed for time, and I got other things to do today, so we're going to hold to that time schedule uh, as discussed earlier. So thank you very much, Ken, MC. Uh, thank you guys very much for listening. Uh, you guys know where to find us. Uh, anarchistexperience.com, minds.com slash the anarchist experience. And if you'd like to contribute to the show financially, uh, do so through Patreon, patreon.com slash the anarchist experience. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll talk to you all next week. Peace. Aloha.